There is no one way to do anything. Despite what anybody says, 1 plus 1 equals 2, but so does 6 minus 4, doesn't it? I forgot this momentarily while I was reading this book. A book that moved me in many ways and triggered some internal conversations and personal conflicts about art. It even pushed me to the edge of losing my cool. Picture that. This is Studio Confessions, the art podcast. I am your host, Luis Martin, the art engineer. Listen in for conversation with artists and creatives alike as we talk about their creative practice and what moves them. Let me share my wax poetic monologues and how to activate your creativity to live an inspired and more beautiful life. That's right, I said beautiful. Welcome to the studio. I'm glad you're here. The book was flung to the opposite side of the room a few times. Why so dramatic, you might ask? Well, the book in question is an autobiography by the artist Eric Fischel. I was not familiar with the artist's work or his name. The book titled Bad Boy caught my eye on a trip to LA early this year. I was at the last bookstore in downtown LA, and its title, the cover, and girth made me think it'd be a great companion back to New York on a four-hour-plus trip. While I read it, it invigorated me, and it almost felt like it was a perfect playbook for artists. Things that artists should think about or question of themselves and of their work. It showed me how the artists took creative opportunities and exploited them where possible. It honestly shared highs and lows. It was a very comprehensive and a truthful account on a career and artist journey. But at some point, I had to face the elephant on every page. This artist's career as it played out with its highs and lows and major acclaim, doesn't happen to everyone. Duh, right? It doesn't. But I mean, it really wouldn't just happen to just any artist. Even if you were the definition of prolific or the zenith of talent. Because if as an artist, you talk with brutal honesty about family idiosyncrasies, depict women as hypersexual props to narrate a story, and are righteous about your work and career, it would take a heck of a lot of self-assurance and privilege to pull that off, wouldn't it? I got the book back in April and started reading it in LA before the flight, but I was instantly put off by the first scene in which the artist writes about driving home from a solo show at the Whitney, all coked up, and getting into some altercation with the driver with road rage. He goes on to stop and solicit a cop that was already attending some other matter. If you're Latino or Black and you stop a cop, all coked up, to defend you, guess who's going to jail? Well, I guess that depends on the color of the other driver, right? So both of you. So it was people with power behaving badly. Hmm, if I wanted that, I could turn on the news, step into any movie theater. So I buried the book in my suitcase and forgot about it. But I held on to it. A few months later, it's November, and I returned to it. I got past the coked up chapter, and I was so glad I did. It still shook me. In good ways, as well as in other ways. It really felt like a great guide or playbook for artists, as I mentioned. And this is the only sports analogy I can make, really. You probably know that more than me. According to Google, a playbook is a notebook or a document that outlines and describes a strategy for a certain sport, organization, or activity. Bad Boy by Eric Fischel very much felt like it could be that, to some extent. But again, this is where I had the internal conflict about who could actually get away with this playbook? Could I, a brown man, 
Could a brown, black, yellow woman? And then I sat to really think about this for a minute. The voice of someone I once knew came to me. I clearly heard his voice say, Spumanti, learn to eat the fish without choking on the bones. Not sure why he called me Spumanti. But it all made perfect sense then. So, even though this is not the book, play number one, eat the fish and don't choke on the bones. Write that down. We'll talk more about this in a bit. But let me make something clear. This episode, this podcast, is not a divisive one. I'm not here to ring the alarm and point out the white man and villainize him. I'm here to tell you that yes, there are bad people, there are good people, and then there are the rest of us in the middle. And guess what? We come in every shape, in every shade. I'm not here to deny systematic oppression of class, race, narratives. You know this, my friend. But we, you and I, can learn from each other. In this case, from a white man, this artist. By studying his moves, his access, and inherent privilege. We can learn more by interacting, by initiating conversation, than turning our backs, as the media would have you do. So let's dig in a little deeper into some of the themes and bones I found in this book, shall we? P.S. I'm not, nor do I wish to be an art historian. I am an artist, and I am sharing what moves me. I'm sharing the best part of the Fish and Fischl's book without choking on any bones here. And ultimately, I'll be talking about the ideas in the book instead of zeroing in on him as an artist particularly. But let's talk about his work. Eric Fischl's paintings are big large enough to walk into them. His work addresses a loneliness, an existence, in vast and vapid spaces, occupied by people, nude, or I would go as far as even describing them as naked, in his case. Because while they're languid and mostly fluid, the tension in the picture eliminates the grace one would associate with nudes in paintings. The scenes make you question your gaze. Should you be looking at this? Why are you looking at this? Should you look away? Or are they putting on a show for you, the viewer? His attention and execution of realism seems as important to the artist as the psycho-sexual narrative that is being played out on the canvas. They don't compete or distract from one another. There's no second guessing or shying away on the part of the artist to represent the scene like theater or a still from a movie. These images are present and inescapable. While he paints both women and men, the female figure is central and are very much used like props in movies or even a gimmick to get your attention. Or maybe the attention of other men, men who might collect paintings of naked women. It's completely different from Courbet's The Origin of the World. Google it if you don't know it. It's different from The Origin of the World in that it uses a narrative in the painting and the naked bodies as a vehicle for the conceptual message of the painting but they are all still employing similar tactics to get to an indulgent amount of sex with their fine art. They share the same DNA. The gaze is very much a male's point of view here. And it works. The paintings are evocative and sensual. They're paintings you want to spend time with, even if you wouldn't completely admit to it. The artist creates a sense of urgency, risk. He arrives at a place he calls the dramatic moment by layering images of the figure and furniture to construct this pregnant moment. Beyond the suburban noir image, the artist addresses family dramas and traumas that almost seem to resolve themselves through the artist's process of painting. 
And I love this. I love seeing art used as a vehicle for catharsis. Art that allows us in into the human experience outside of the coolness that art can achieve by using guarded conceptualism. But part of me questions if anyone else could get away with this. Here is a little bone. Let's not choke. But instead, let's inspect it. And when I say get away with it, I don't mean in any way that the artist snuck a five-minute painting onto the wall of the Whitney. And it was all peachy because he was a white man. No. He worked, he honed his craft, tooth and nail, and galleries wanted him as much as he wanted them. And here is the rub. How many uber-talented artists can do that? It's not the same for everyone, is it? Because when you are a POC artist, or at least it's been my experience and that of artists I've met along the way, the all-encompassing mainstream narrative finds it hard to see past your color or gender. If you're a black artist, you're expected to address issues of being black, or else you're not being black enough. An expectation most white artists aren't confronted with. Identity is something that is developed individually, not something that should be prescribed. When I was in college, some professor told me, you got it easy. I do? Pray tell should have been my response. But she continued without being prompted. Yeah, you're gay and Latino. All you have to do is paint fruits in wild colors and you'll sell. But as I write this, I can't help but think, hmm, maybe. But fuck that. She meant nothing racist by it. But that's the problem. These innocuous assumptions are detrimental to artists and the system in which art operates. And truth be told, these experiences, and there have been many, have shaped the way I see the art world and my art practice. But guess what? I don't choke on them anymore. These bones are meant to teach, not choke. The book also brought up some ideas and internal conversations about masculinity. As a gay man, the most prevailing collective reflection I have is either hypersexualized or ultra-feminine. I think I might be ultra-basic and super-square, but I don't identify with either pole because it seems that extreme, at least from where I stand. I mean, despite my occasional RuPaul reference. Eric is an alpha male. He is sensitive and both intellectual and emotional. But his point of view is very male and very much informed by the privilege his masculinity grants him. His work is about the masculine gaze in the most classic of ways. It makes masculine commentary, but is not making commentary about masculinity. He uses masculinity to view the world and the female figure and bodies in general, which post Me Too and the awareness of inequities is problematic because the biggest comment he makes in his work is that of the possession of his gaze. It adds on to the long Western tradition of white European elitist art. But stop. Stop. Stop the press. Here is your prompt for this episode. I usually wait for the end, but let's strike while the iron is hot. Are you ready for it? Make a work of art like an alpha male. Or should I say, like an alpha male. What would that look like? How are you going to be alpha brave in your subject matter, your stroke, your colors? It's up to you, but be the alpha. Not forever, unless you want. But for now, as an exercise, give yourself permission to be powerful. Dress like one, or hear music that'll pump you up to feel like one. Then share it, then tag it at StuCon Podcast. Hashtag episode 49. I want to see you puffed up and see what happens. Hey, why so quiet? Let me know your take on the talk. 
go to studioconfessions.com and reach out. Or even better, leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on. It goes a long way. Want to see some visuals on the essence of the conversation? Go to Instagram and follow the show at Podcast to see some shareable quotes from the conversation and more. You can also follow me at Art Engineer to see some of my work, an inside look at my creative practice and studio. Now let's get back to the conversation. And that there is play number two. Make art like an alpha male. This doesn't mean paint naked ladies in ecstasy at your mercy, by the way. No, no, no. Again, you do you, but puff yourself up. Make your work knowing and feeling that you are the top dog. This was something that I took from the book. Revisiting the act of painting with gusto as something physical, something that gives power through the action of doing it. The artist talks about being impatient and taking this impatience as a cue to work faster. I love that. He shares that someone told him to move fast, to move as fast as he thinks, so as not to get bored or let his ideas get stale. This is a powerful insight to becoming prolific without the constraint of getting too precious. Fischl also talks about collage. He uses collage to arrive at some of his compositions and has been doing so for most of his career. In the book he says, collage is the most important innovation in art since perspective was discovered in the 14th century. Collage is an artificial construct that imitates how the mind works. It breaks down the world in images into fragments of memory torn from their original context. It is ahistorical, which is why avant-garde artists embrace it. Yes, I love that. This is all fish. Does that sound weird? Fish, bones. Fish versus bones. Okay, I'll stop. But do you get it? This is important. What I love about collage as an artist is just that. It's ahistorical. You can appropriate any image and juxtapose it to another and give it power or strip the image of it. It becomes our new narrative, our new history, really. Collage is a democratic way of art. Chin chin art. Play number three in our little artist playbook of sorts. Well, let's call it hashtag be in the game. Just like sports, here we go. There's a huge amount of practice, commitment, and engagement that goes into becoming a heavy hitter. A sellable, recognizable, and one that generates interest. When you're in the game, you play to win. And here's where I call bone. You already know, and I've stated it multiple times, that the game is rigged. So in order to eat this chunk of fish and not choke, we have to identify the game. Its rules and what we, individually, mean when we think of winning. Because some of us might have already won. If you want to make art because it fulfills you, even if no one else sees it, and that's enough for you, you've already won, my friend. But if, to the other extreme, your definition of winning is gallery shows, museum solos, the brand endorsements, well, yeah, I want that. But in order to do that and survive cognitively and emotionally, if you, like me, are POC, a person of color, we have to understand that certain rules do not apply to us. So let's not play that game. Keep your sanity, keep your cool, and your soul by doing it your way. Not expecting the same treatment that other artists in the mainstream have gotten. But you might say, there was Frida, there was Basquiat. And here's where I go dark. They were martyrs. Sacrificial lambs for the art pantheon. If your art doesn't require you to wear a flag, or be burdened by the weight of a whole diaspora, 
lighten your load. You can just make art about what moves you. Now that I cleared my throat of that bone, it's important to be in the game if you want to be in the game, if you want to win. If you're not, get out the way and let those who want a shot get their shot. Don't take up space. But don't leave. Where are you going? Come back, come back. When you're ready, love, because what you got to say matters. And when you're ready for your close-up, you'll know. And no one is going to stop you. The artist, Eric Fischel, was in the game. And he realized that it takes more than good art to become successful. And also realized that the success of his peers was beneficial to his work. Because every time they mounted a show and sold out, their prices increased or bounced, as the artist puts it. Which also made his prices bounce. And nothing could be truer than that. Along with the sense of camaraderie, the artist was also compelled to be competitive in the best of ways. For him, it was about looking at good artwork and saying, I can do better. And then pushing towards that. And ultimately asking, how can I make this tougher, bigger, louder, and clearer art? And as artists, this approach is a winning formula. This goes back to making art like an alpha male and beyond. It's what makes masters art of artists. I've always identified jealousy, and yes, it's fine. It is okay to feel jealous of artists and other people's careers, but what matters is what you do with that feeling. I like to think of it as a call to action. If I see someone showing or collaborating and being the toast of the town during Miami Art Basel at Faena House, for example, to say, instead of hating on them, I first take a step to allow myself to be excited about it. Whatever triggered that emotion, by allowing myself to be excited, I acknowledge and invite it into my life. Because that is what jealousy is. It's that hater in us that doesn't allow us to get excited about something because it fears we're too removed or too far for it to be part of our reality, too out of reach. But allow yourself to be excited by these things. Bring it into your vortex, y'all. The next step then is to ask yourself, what can I do to have that experience? And most importantly, Am I willing to do what it takes? Because it's easy to hate and envy the art stars of the moment, even if they got to where they are, for any other reason than good art, they still had to show up. They had to leave the studio, negotiate, make the work. So ask yourself, how far from my studio, how far from my comfort zone am I willing to go? Competition can be good. Jealousy can become your call to action, but let it come from the right place. Above all, the most moving part of the book, Bad Boy, which is why I can recommend this book and have created this whole podcast around the book, is the artist's Eric Fischel's sense of righteousness, his wholehearted belief in art. We've all felt it before. Or if you, like me, it's still a central belief to my existence. I believe. Do you? The artist's belief in art and his unquestionable role in art was reassuring. Because despite most artists' commitment to art, or at least to their art careers, few will admit to the dogmatic approach to art, especially the artist at the top. The artist believes and knows about the power of art, so much so that immediately after September 11, he made a call and placed his work at Rockefeller Center. Just like that. Amazing. It's fantastic. It's what artists should be able to do. Offering their insight into our human experience, both tragic and joyous. Offering reflection and an opportunity to heal. 
While he got a sculpture on view, his visual language of naked women, this time tumbling, wasn't well received, as you can imagine. But he had the leverage to make this happen. And as you can imagine, this is both elating for artists, but troubling at the nature of his privilege and myopic perspective of the situation. Jumping over this bone, this type of short-sightedness only comes from drinking your own Kool-Aid. And in order to be an artist, you kind of have to. And this is play number four. Drink your own Kool-Aid and be righteous. Believe. You hear me? This is for you. Fisher believed his perspective mattered. That his narrative, no matter how twisted, had the right to exist. And it did. It does. As yours does. POC people, particularly women of all color, are taught to shy away, to keep things in, not air dirty laundry, even if it makes great paintings or great art. And a lot of us have gone with this old adage. We, and I include myself in this, we shy away and pass the mic faster than we can tell our own story. We share the limelight before we can be seen in our full splendor. Does any of this sound familiar or is it just me? Let me know, please. Here's the takeaway, my friends. Make art like you're a white man. No, I'm only half kidding. Remember, eat the fish and don't choke on the bone. Let's not be decisive and shun each other out. Not if we want to get anywhere. It is our job as artists to believe in our own work, our own voices, and take our charisma, uniqueness, nerve, talent to the next level. There's that RuPaul reference. Let's not rely on anyone, let alone the mainstream to validate our work, and worst of all, expect them to prop us up. But if it helps, make art like a white man. Believe me, they won't mind or even notice. I want to end this episode with one aspect of this conversation and the one that's at the apex of this whole issue. It is that of access to the opportunity, to have a chance at a chance. Privilege can, but does not always make it easy. I'm not saying it is less competitive for white artists in any way. Most must also work hard tooth and nail, but at the very least, they're granted the chance. And this is something we people of color as a whole have not been given, a level-footed chance to throw in our hat, to be considered without being pigeonholed or earmarked as an exception for the exotic portion of the conversation. I want my chance to. So here's a rundown of my POC artist playbook. One, eat the fish and don't choke on the bones. Two, make art like an alpha male. Three, be in the game or get out, at least until you're ready. Four, but do come back. Four, drink your own Kool-Aid and believe in your work, your voice. Stand next to what you do. Here's the next logical question. Now that we address the elephant, deboned the fish and talked it out, what are you gonna say? In 2020, are you, am I, really doing everything I, we can to win this game? That's it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel inspired and triggered from something you heard, please share it. You are the candle that can light endless flames with what moves you. I am Luis Martin, the art engineer, sharing with you what moves me.